0: Welcome to the Spirited Advocate podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger Welcome to our Distilled Spirits Council of the United States second podcast. And uh, I am very, very privileged to be here with uh, Amir Pei uh, with James E. Pepper Distillery. And before we turn it over to Amir, uh one of the first times I had, a, had the chance to meet Amir, he and I were in a meeting with uh, the Senate Majority Leader of the United States, Senator Mitch McConnell, uh, just talking about a whole host of issues. Everybody knows Senator McConnell is from the state of Kentucky, and uh, the story that Amir told about his great distillery and his dream, uh, you know, I, I haven't f- forgotten about that to this day, and it's just awesome what he has been doing. So, Amir, uh, thank you for being with us and tell us a little bit about the James E. Pepper uh, story and and all the good things that you're doing at the distillery.
1: Sure. Well, thank you, Chris. It's great to be here today with you. Uh, I've really enjoyed working with you and the Distilled Spirits Council for a lot of years now. Uh, you guys do really great work in our industry, um, and I've seen it benefit a lot of companies and, and mine as well. So it's a real pleasure for me to be here today and to work with you guys. We're, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so, James E. Pepper. Uh, Where do I start? Very old story. Um, The Pepper family brand was founded during the American Revolution, 1780, by Elijah Pepper. Uh, He later went on to build a distillery in 1812. Uh, That site today goes by the name of Woodford Reserve. A lot of people might know that place. Sure. His son, Oscar Pepper, uh, expanded the distillery, hired a Scottish chemist by the name of Dr. James C. Crow. Have you ever heard of Old Crow Whiskey? Yeah. They perfected this sour mash process. Uh, process used today by virtually every large distillery in Kentucky. It revolutionized the whiskey industry at the time in the mid-1800s, really ensured quality and consistency from one batch of whiskey to the next, and made Old Pepper and Old Crow whiskey, the most famous whiskey brands in the United States during the Civil War era. So Old Pepper whiskey was the favorite whiskey of Ulysses S. Grant, Andrew Jackson, Henry Clay, and many, many others. Wow! So it really took the pepper brand to the next level. And then his son, James E. Pepper, inherited the the distillery when he was about 15 years old, so a very young guy. Uh, And he had, uh, you know, his family said, all right, we got to get you some help running this distillery. So they brought in an old family friend and guardian uh, and business partner by the name of Colonel E.H. Taylor.
0: To help out out James Jr., who was only
1: 15 years old. That's right. He actually became his legal guardian. And he advised young James to expand the distillery and to grow it. Uh, And he actually lent James money to do just that. And a number of years later, James E. Pepper uh, encountered some financial issues. And and so did Taylor. Long story short, he lost the old distillery. Um, And then Taylor, of course, went on to have a great illustrious career. And it was a great icon in our industry. Uh, James E. Pepper then went to New York City where he'd gone for business a lot raised capital, came back and settled in Lexington, Kentucky, very close, about 20 minutes from the old other pepper distillery, and in 1880 built a new pepper distillery, which at the time was the largest, uh, most technologically advanced distillery in the United States. And there, he produced his famous high-grade whiskey uh, using his grandfather Elijah's original Revolutionary War recipes. Uh, and for that reason, they called the brand Old 1776, which is what you see on our label today.
0: I'll sip it today.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. right. And he also, you know, used a slogan "Born with the Republic" and was very proud of that that connection to the American Revolution. And he was this flamboyant promoter of his family brand. Uh, he traveled around the United States in a private rail car with his logo painted on the side of it. Uh, he bred and raced thoroughbred horses, uh, raced him in the Kentucky Derby, the Kentucky Oaks, once even brought him over to England and raced against the King of England in the Doncaster Cup and beat him. Check that And out. brought it back to the United States. And it's actually at the Horse Park Museum in Lexington right now. Um, the old-fashioned cocktail, legend has it, was invented in his honor at the Pendennis Club in Louisville. Uh, and then he brought it to the Waldorf Astoria in Manhattan where he used to live and spend lots of time and from there it was introduced to the world and that's and very And that's
0: where old fashioned That's was correct. Born.
1: and that story's been very famously put in print in some really historic cocktail books from the 1930s after prohibition. Um, And and he also had some inventions at the distillery. It was actually legal for a distillery to bottle its own whiskey uh, in the 1880s. This drove James E. Pepper crazy because people would counterfeit his whiskey brand or refill bottles. Uh, And so he actually sued the state of Kentucky to allow him to bottle his whiskey at the distillery to protect the quality and the provenance and got the law changed. Check that out. So he began bottling at the distillery. I think it's the first distillery in Kentucky to bottle its own whiskey. And he was very proud of that and he advertised that a lot. And he still had problems though because people would refill bottles. So back then, this is 1880s, there was no consumer protection laws. Sure. Uh, trademark law was very weak. And so people would refill a bottle and put horrible things in it and sell it as whiskey or his whiskey. Yeah. So he had this ingenious idea. He realized that trademark law was virtually non-existent, but forgery law was very strong. So he said, I'm gonna print this little strip of paper I'm going to call it a a signature strip stamp. I'm going to print my signature across it. I'm going to put it across the stopper on the top of the bottle. And we're going to advise consumers to only buy it if it bears this unbroken signature strip across the top of the bottle. Got it. And if somebody replicated that, they'd assume for forgery law. And that actually became very popular. It's the genesis of all these bottles today you see with that strip over the top. And later, and that, um, was, that was James E. Pepper's idea. That was James E. Pepper's idea. And that's been pretty well documented. And we have some very cool things at the museum at the distillery that show the, the origination of that. And a few years later, in 1897, when the federal government passed the Bottled and Bond Act, which preserved the integrity and the code for what is good, straight, pure American whiskey, um, and he was a big proponent of that. They thought his idea was so nifty that they took it and incorporated and used it for the tax strip stamps that they would seal over the tops of bottles. Uh, and he used to have his bottles, they would say distillery bottling on it, and then he just swapped in bottled
0: and bond in 1897 pretty amazing so how did you get involved in, at the distillery sure I, I'm, I'm sure yeah. there's a i'm yeah ga- i am yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, sorry yeah I, yeah that's it, tell me more tell me more this is our biggest problem and it's a good one there's almost too much
1: good history yeah so it's a lot um but but so he died in 1906 uh, distillery was, they had no children. Distillery was sold to investors, uh, produced whiskey during Prohibition for medicinal purposes. Uh, the old distillery burned in a fire in 1933, was rebuilt on the exact same footprint in 34. in production all the way through the 60s, was one of the largest brands in the United States. And in in the 1960s. Correct. In. And in
0: 1967,
1: uh, the distillery was shut down and abandoned and along with the brand for over 50 years. Fast forward to my entrance, uh, yeah. Amir Pei comes on the scene. Uh, who am I? Uh, I'm a guy that grew up working a lot of restaurant and bar jobs. Uh, I studied philosophy in college, which is a great precursor to getting the whiskey business, because yeah. what do you do other than sit around <laughs> pontificate when I mean, you drink no whiskey? Doubt. and
0: build relationships, build relationships, understand people.
1: Worked a little bit in the wine business in California, a little bit in the apparel business, and kind of got a knack for brand building and storytelling uh, and design. Didn't make much money to think of, so I didn't get wildly successful doing any of that stuff, but just kind of furthered my my, my skills in that area, but also in all things food and drink. And then a few years later, I, I got into whiskey and really wanted to see how I could get into the whiskey business. Um, and well,
0: Are you from Lexington?
1: No. So no. I was born okay. in California. I grew up in New Mexico, Washington, D.C. D. area. Yeah. Uh, I actually have some old family roots in Kentucky. I have an old pay family cemetery and. Butler County, Kentucky, and, and uh, on one side. And on the other side, I actually have some roots of the American Revolution and the whiskey trading business. And that goes back to the first American Navy and sure. John Adams. And that's a whole other story. I don't think we have time for yeah. that today. But I loved history. Uh, and so I'm a huge history buff. Uh, I'm a big whiskey fan. I'm getting into whiskey, becoming a connoisseur. Uh, and I was kind of tinkering around in the whiskey business. And I discovered this old brand. And I was looking at, I'm a big boxing fan too. I used yeah. to be a freelance journalist in that sport. And I was looking at an old photo from a very famous boxing match, July 4th, 1910. It was called the Fight of the Century. And it was Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson. The heavyweight champion of the world, very famous yeah. American athlete. Um, and I'm looking at this photo the two fighters. In the middle of the ring is a banner. It says James E. Pepper, e. Pepper whiskey, whiskey. Born with the Republic. Check and that I out. said, I've never heard of that whiskey brand before. Let me look into this. That's so what I started to do, and I would find little bits. This is 2007, before this whole American whiskey thing really took off, and I would find little bits and pieces of the history. Everything I told you and everything you can see on our website, uh, if you go to the history page, there's a little documentary we made there, and there's everything we have in the museum. I didn't find all that in one little website or took article. Some more. Took, took some work. Took some more. but these little bits and pieces, I would get to say, this is amazing, and I can't believe this brand was just abandoned. Like, nobody cares. And, and forgotten said, about Forgotten it. about it. You know, I love American history, and I love cool American sure. stories. And to me, yes, the whiskey, I love whiskey. That was a big part of it. But it's like, this is a piece of Americana. This is like the Bethlehem Steel Company.
0: Were this, you yeah. in Lexington at the time? Were you no. You in,
1: no. No. No, okay. I was in the Washington, D.C. area. Okay, got it. So I was able to acquire the rights to the brand, which was, you know, I tell people that today, it was the easiest thing. Music part of the journey. There, it was yeah. abandoned. No yeah. one cared. Uh, people are shocked when I tell them that. And I say, but literally, that was the easiest thing I did over this last 12 years. Uh, and then I went around and I tried to find a partner to make the whiskey for me. Sure. Because uh, I didn't have the money to build a distillery. Then no bank would loan me the money to build a distillery. Sure. So I tried to find and, and, you know, knocked on a lot of doors, called a lot of people in Kentucky and got a lot of very polite thanks but no thanks. Um, and then I did find a couple of partners. Um, and so I was able to relaunch the brand. Uh, under the 1776
0: label. Around the same area in Lexington where the old distillery was? No. Or new location? New location.
1: Yeah. So I didn't have any of my own facilities. So I had to figure out how to bootstrap this thing. I didn't have much money at all. Um, And again, you know, I I wanted to, I don't know, I just kind of like to stay independent. And still am today. I'm still the sole owner of the business. Um, And so I just had to really be lean and bootstrap. And so, you know, all the money went into good whiskey and fill in barrels, um, and then, you know, created the 1776 line, um, and in, you know, pretty short order, we had really great distribution. Yes, sir, there it is right there, and, yeah. and um, um, you can interrupt any time too, because I still got to yeah. get to, yeah.
0: Well, let me, uh, let me I mean, look, this story is, is, is really what it's all about. It's the American dream in every sense of the word, and the fact that this idea came up when you just noticed a James E. Pepper whiskey advertisement, looking at a photo of a Jack Johnson fight, right, uh, is pretty amazing. Uh, and you, you told a little bit of that story uh, when we were just meeting with Senator McConnell. And, and I loved it just because uh, it's about somebody pursuing a dream and uh, really putting their mark down and doing something great. Uh, to kind of lighten it up a little bit, So tell us what your favorite drink would be. Sure. Uh, Well, I'm a little biased. Of course. My favorite drink
1: is the old-fashioned cocktail for obvious reasons. I get that. But it's a great cocktail. And actually, it's the number one selling cocktail in the United States. And uh, my favorite place to enjoy it is at the historic pepper distillery on the patio. And the favorite time to do it is April or October. When the horses are racing at Keeneland because uh, the weather is, is phenomenal. Everybody's out. Everybody's yeah. in a good mood.
0: Springtime in Kentucky. Yes, sir. Springtime in Kentucky. And this is probably a silly question as well, but if you had to pick anybody in the world to have a drink with, they're either dead or alive, right? Uh, I, I do this with uh, buddies all the time. Who would that person be? Uh, would you... Anybody that comes top of mind to have a cocktail with?
1: Yeah, and that that again would be an easy one and, and a little <laughs> biased. About it. That would have to be the Colonel James E. Pepper. Um, I bet. I'm sort of the chief historian for his legacy and the brand. Uh, so it's kind of like if somebody studied you know, Julius Caesar for 12 years of their life and obsessed every day and worked Saturdays, sure. Sundays, and uncovered old documents and letters with his signature on it and all this and that. You know I mean lots of really interesting stuff, personal stuff, things we haven 't even put out because there's so much, so to be able to sit down, have a cocktail with that gentleman and talk to him would, would be great would fun. be great
0: has any does he have any family legacy, any family in Kentucky that has kind of resurfaced as you've kind of brought the 1776 brand to market? You know, occasionally we'll get an email from somebody who says that they're a direct descendant and (laughs) we know
1: that he had no children. (laughs) So we have to be very polite about how we we don't want to tell somebody, you know, this and that. Um, But we have actually had some interaction with the great, great niece of his wife, his widow, Ella Offit Pepper. Uh, She was a remarkable woman. Uh, Her story there's a lot of stories in the Pepper family. We almost think her story is the absolute best. Uh, we look forward to talking about it more. And, again, I, I could go off on a whole half an hour sure, tangent about sure. her. But but she's been really great um, actually bringing us and, and donating to us, uh, you know, Old keepsakes of Ella's photos of James E. Pepper, letters, Jamesy e. Pepper's actual wallet with oh, his wow. logo in so it, um, personal items, mementos, lots of photos so she's got
0: access to all that. She and kind of, she did, and it she
1: pretty much donated it all to us because she really just, she had always thought it was such an amazing story. Sure. And nobody else really kind did of, and told it. And, and, and even you're bringing people it and her to family. Life now. Yeah. And so when we did this and we built this museum, and we're all about this story and this history because we want to really retell this great piece of American history, but through a great glass of whiskey. Um, she was just like, you know, she was like, I want this stuff to be utilized. And she, I want it to be put Fantastic. to good use. So she, yeah, she was really great about
0: that. Well, I bet you Colonel James E. Pepper is really appreciative. You know, looking down on you, having an old fashioned somewhere, right? Thank you. And uh, uh, just congratulations uh, for everything that you do. Uh and one of the things, one of the great things about Amir is uh, his real uh, commitment and investment to engage and advocate for his great distillery and for the industry. The Craft Beverage Modernization Act, uh, you've been very active in that, so thank you for that. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit on why it's so important to get that uh, legislation reauthorized. You know, we got a one-year extension on uh, late December, uh, and you've been very, very supportive for that. So Thank could you. Could you just elaborate why it's so important for you and your investment and capital sure. to keep the distillery going strong?
1: Absolutely. You know, that has been critical in my business. As I said, I'm still independent. You know, sole owner, very much a bootstrapper. Um, we rebuilt. You know, I use the Royal We, uh, the historic distillery in Lexington. It was abandoned for 50 years. So a lot of work went into the renovation and the reconstruction of the distillery, and I borrowed a lot of money from the bank to sure. do that, millions of dollars. Put my own personal guarantee for those right. loans, and we finished the construction in late 2017. This, uh, you know, tax reform went into it just gives us parity with sure. beer and wine. Sure. When it, you know, but but we were paying 13.50 a proof gallon, um, which was you know about 30 to 40 percent of our finished cost on a case. And it went into effect beginning of 2018. Right as I have this huge payroll, I have rent obligations, I have debt service, I have all these things. So, you know, it's we're always scrappy. Sure. Even now, lean, scrappy, getting through it. You know, there's ups and downs. We've got a healthy business. Yeah. But you got to be really paranoid and careful. And, you know, I don't think it's crazy for me to say that, that this... Tax reform was what allowed me to get through those first two Reinvest. years. Reinvest. Reinvest. It all went back in. You ask anybody what kind of car I drive or clothes I wear, you guys see me right now. Yeah, yeah. It, it goes, ain't going into it. Goes back into the business. Fancy clothes. It goes Fancy back backs into yeah, it. And, yeah. and so, you know, it's critical. And we hire a lot of employees. We've been paying down our debt. You know, we're growing. We're investing in the business. Everything goes back. I work with local farmers in Kentucky. You know, I work all with
0: source cooperages. In everything, yeah, yeah. yeah. And
1: so, you know, it's a lot of investment. I work very closely with the city of Lexington uh, for the tourism aspect. Uh, you know, my distillery and, and everybody in the distillery district in Lexington. We revitalized an abandoned, blighted part of the city that was historic. I mean, this is really great for for the local community in the city. And for us specifically, this this reform allows us to do it. So it's been ext- extremely beneficial. Yeah. And now, you know, we want it to stay on because obviously if it's to come off and- we're, It's we're act- a lifeline, right? It, it's, it's a, a lifeline. lifeline. Yeah. And we're we're actually in this really kind of strange purgatory because we don't know if it's going to get no extended. No
0: predictability.
1: So how stuff. can I make long-term planning decisions about hiring employees or about how to invest capital sure. or about how to pay down debt if I don't know- if in 10 months, our if whole... it's going to co- be around. If exactly. And so we're sort of just sitting on our hands. Um, and we make other decisions like, you know, pre-producing inventory to have for the next year so we can get in front of it if sure. it doesn't. And now we didn't need it this year. So it's like now we've took all that capital and allocated it to production, you know, and cost. And so it's starting to kind of jerk us around. I don't want to sound ungrateful. I'm, sure, I'm super sure, happy sure. for it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But all we want is is predictability and stability. So let me ask you, uh, for, for our viewers... Uh, uh, the Distilled Spirits Council launched, uh, Spirit United. It's a grassroots platform really to harness, uh, the passion in the people in our great industry to, to be advocates. You're part of the Spirit United army. Uh, uh, how important is it for the Distilled Spirits industry's voice to be heard, uh, with lawmakers, both on the state level and on the national level as well. You've been very active, uh, Uh, We can't thank you enough for uh, how supportive you've been. Anytime we call... Where we need Amir to help on media opportunities or going to Capitol Hill, he is always there. So just tell us about your experience with Spirits United and just how important it is to be active to make sure the distilled spirits industry really harnesses and leverages leverages the excitement and passion within our industry to be advocates for the industry.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think Spirits United was a great, you know, initiative and, and is a great ongoing uh, initiative and platform. Uh, you know, We need to unite our voices, we need to speak up to be heard. Um, and I think that the spirits industry was kind of lacking a cohesive way to bring us all together yeah. and to do it in a way that really also, that not just reaches you know politicians and people behind the scenes in the industry, but reaches consumers and people in the public. You know, the spirits category is growing faster than beer and wine. People love whiskey. Yeah. They love our brands, they love our stories, they love our products. And, you know, we want them to hear about, you know, our challenges and our desires and to continue doing what we're doing and bringing them these great products that they love. So I think it's a great platform to do just that. And I think it's it's critical for everybody in the United States who's built a distillery or is a part of a distillery to speak up and 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 defend our industry and speak up for our interests. Um, because, you know, beer industry has been doing it. Yep. Wine's been doing it. Um, and we've sort of been treated a little unfairly compared to those other two sure. categories historically. So,
0: so well, you know, for our, for our viewers, uh, check out www.spiritunited.org because it is a one-stop shop easy way to kind of get engaged and make sure that your voice is heard. Uh, with lawmakers, both on the state level and on the national level as well. So in less than two, three minutes, you can uh, put your data on the website and then knock out a letter on important issues like the craft support for the craft beverage bill or some of the challenges. We have a campaign called Toasts, Not Tariffs. Uh, you've been very active on the, on the challenges that our industry is facing with the retaliatory tariffs. From the eu on american whiskey uh why is that issue so important uh for you and for uh the distillery and so forth
1: well i, I think that american whiskey is a category we've had this great renaissance and resurgence it started domestically yep. and we're still having it but international is where we are very underrepresented compared to other spirit so categories. you see it as an opportunity export huge opportunity exp- and i was hard. working with Discus, you know, yeah. you guys helped bring me over to Europe. And we had a lot of success out of the gate. That might have been four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, On our ma- uh, market access absolutely. program. Yeah. And really opened my eyes to the fact that consumers in Europe and other parts of the world, they want to be introduced to American whiskey. Sure. They want to try it. There's a real organic demand
0: they there. They would fall in love with the James E. Pepper store. They,
1: they absolutely would. Yeah. And they are. And yeah. we were getting going. And we were growing our business over there. And it was growing. It a Pretty nice clip. Um, very much in line with the category growth overseas and was getting to be about 10% of our overall business. Um, and in, in 2017, I believe it was, we had planned. We said, well, we're going to expand, you know. And it's like, well, Europe, you know, we've sure. got these partnerships. We've been dipping our toe in over there. Let's do it. So we invested in, you know, 700 milliliter bottle. We took it over our own warehousing logistics so operation a lot of Europe, time and effort. Time yeah. and effort and money. money. Brought on yeah. a salesperson over there. Um, and that was the plan. And then all of a sudden we get caught as Whacked. collateral damage Whacked in a global trade war over 25 stealing aluminum. S- aluminum. That's right. And we're like, what just happened? And a lot of people initially, you know, brushed it off. Oh well, no problem. We'll get through it. Well, clearly that's not the case because I think American spirit whiskey exports have declined by negative 27 percent. You know, yeah. I think Kentucky bourbon was growing thirty-eight percent a year before the trade war started, and it's now really, it's Really, an American Renaissance story. It price. was, and now everybody's hurting. You're starting to see some of the bigger companies come out and talk about it, and you know, we've lost over fifty percent of our European business over there. Um, it's getting tougher and tougher. That's a shame. it yeah. is, and it, it it again it creates this this situation of uncertainty where when we are faced with uh, do we send over specialty items that are more expensive, um, you know, so we're going to pay a higher tax on them. And we're about to fill, this happened just a few, couple of months ago. We're about to send over a 20-foot container. And all of a sudden, we thought, we were hoped it was at least done ratcheting sure. up. Now people are talking about maybe 100% tariffs it could be. on both sides of the Atlantic. So then I have the decision to make as a small business owner, do I fill this container with 1,000 cases of very expensive whiskey Ship it, and when it's on the water, this six weeks, if if it gets jacked up to 100%, not only is it going to land over there and I got to pay a six-figure tax bill, but now the demand is also going to drop. It's already been dropping. Totally. So now I'm going to be stuck with the cost of the goods over there and six figures worth of taxes, and I, I might never get any of that back. So you know what we did? Cancel the container. Canceled it.
0: I s- yeah, so these, these are some of the challenges and risks that our industry is facing. Uh, you know, the uncertainty around the Craft Beverage Modernization Tax Reform Act, uh, the challenges with the retaliatory tariffs on American whiskey. Uh, uh, it, here at Discus, we've been working very hard. We're working closely with our European spirits partners. We're all in this together as an industry. Uh, we have been working uh, both with uh, the Trump administration and the EU, uh, the trade negotiators and those counterparts with the EU to try to find a creative solution. And uh, just hearing those stories and having your voice lend to the effort uh, is is super critical. Well, Chris,
1: um, let me just inter- interject real quick. You guys have done a phenomenal job. Uh, the whole Discus team, you, I mean, talk about, you know rising to the occasion. I I think great people, great companies, uh, are oftentimes a result of the situation they find themselves in. And so you guys over the last couple of years, it's not just craft beverage tax reform, it's also a trade war. And now it might be coronavirus.
0: Coronavirus, ex- exactly. And I mean we're
1: you, all navigating but through. But you it. guys yeah. are firing on all cylinders. You're doing a great job. You know, I appreciate it. I think our whole industry appreciates it. So thank you very much.
0: Awesome. Well I yeah. can just say, look, it's all about uh our passion. Uh, our passion uh, to be able to represent uh, great distilleries like yours and you and uh, across the board. So uh, before we wrap up, if we can uh, have a little bit of a toast and a cheers uh, with the great 1776 whiskey. Amir, thank you. Thank you for being with us on our second podcast. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: My pleasure. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Prime time.
1: Thank you. And real quick, oh yeah, you get all those great minty, cloves, eucalyptus notes. Let me me be a salesman for a second. Hundred proof, full of flavor, unfiltered, great, neat, double gold medal, San Francisco World Spirits Competition. But also great in your classic cocktails, old fashions, Manhattan, Sazeracs, Boulevardiers. That's why it's one of our. It is our best-selling whiskey, and it's one of the most popular in major cities across the U.S. and the world. But I'm so appreciative of what you guys are all doing here that I brought a little something for the Discus Bar too. This is our very special limited Old Pepper bourbon. This is a 10-year-old bourbon, single barrel, cask strength, hand-bottled at the historic Pepper
0: Distillery in Lexington, Old Kentucky. Pepper. Old, Old Pepper. Old Pepper. Amir, thank you very much. Chris, what a thank privilege! You. Thank you.
1: The Spirited Advocate podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.